Back about 1906 or so is when people started arriving into this area, and uh, they immediately set about starting uh, Sunday schools. And so wherever there was a public school uh, out here around about, and they were all kind of one room, a couple of them were two-room schoolhouses, but within 10 miles of Johnson Corners, there were all these schools. And, um, and so we, they, they just had different people that would go into their, those schools on Sundays and they would teach Sunday school and reach out to all the people. And so these are the uh, Sunday school superintendents um, back then. Some of those names you will recognize. And uh, Jacob Klom was kind of an overachiever. He was superintendent of three different schools. Um, but, but you see the different schools. If you go to the next screen, Priscilla, please, uh, you'll see Stans, uh, Sandstone School. That's still sitting over here. Um, and then the next one is of the inside. But um, those, uh, that's, that's kind of the Sunday schools is where it started. And then we had, uh, they would have visiting ministers just come in, uh, Norwegian visiting ministers to minister to the Norwegians around here uh, occasionally. And uh, then they decided to have their first cat meeting, and that was on June 13, 1916, and uh, that was held at Williams Grove. Uh, there was a pond over there in the Croft area, and that was just right over this direction, about four miles. And they brought in an evangelist, Reverend Gilbertson of Taylor University. He was a man of Lutheran background and came from Illinois, so he came a long ways for that camp meeting. Um, they had a wonderful uh, camp meeting. There were four people, uh, that at least I've seen in the history books, that were converted and uh, lives changed at that camp meeting. Um, and they were told um, to come to that camp meeting. And uh, today we uh, give our teens a list of things not to bring. Uh, but what they were told to bring, of course, was their team and their wagon, food and bedding, a milk cow and chickens. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, when you went to camp, you had to make sure there was going to be something to drink, so you needed the milk cow, and you had to have some eggs for protein, and so, uh, you know, you went to camp dragging your cow and some chickens along, <laughs> and the chickens probably got butchered while they were there, I don't know, <laughs> but anyway, that was, that was camp meeting back then. Um, advertising for that event was at the Dave Worley Farm Auction Sale, and I don't know, no one's ever told me exactly where uh, his farm was or what it was, but um, anyway, they, he had a farm auction, and so neighbors went to that. Of course, that was the day before telephones and before mail service uh, was out in this area. Um, and so that advertising was very effective, and then word got out mouth to mouth, and they had quite a group. That camp meeting lasted for six years, um, six successive summers, uh, it didn't last all year for six years, <laughs> but uh, you know, probably about ten days, I suppose, um, each summer. And there were many conversions and baptisms every year at that. And uh, at the end of that, uh, they decided it was time. Uh, the people there said, "You know, we need an established uh, church here." And so that was kind of the beginning of that. Reverend A.M. Wiley, uh, at the 1922 camp, uh, was the camp evangelist from Dickinson, and that was the year that uh, people said, you know, we need a regular church to go to. And so Wiley uh, took that to the Dakota Conference of the Wesleyan Methodist Church, uh, which at that time was in Aberdeen, South Dakota. 
a long trip over there. Uh, and uh, then J.F. Simpson, uh, from the district conference president, and Reverend Wiley came back. They held services at uh, the school over here at Croft, and then at Christensen Hall, which is above Badlands. It was the upper part of Badlands Hardware Store uh, at that time. Um, and they, so they held services there. And then Reverend Wiley decided to stay and remain for services and meetings there. And that, that's really considered the beginning of the Wesleyan Methodist work here in McKenzie County. Reverend Wilson uh, was known as Rattlesnake Dick um, <laughs> because of his fiery preaching. And uh, he, was, he was sent out. He pastored the work for one year before he uh, was replaced by the next pastor. Um, he held a wonderful uh, revival um, in, in a dance hall over here at Johnson Corners uh, during late uh, October. And the Lord just so transformed the community that the building was bought and rebuilt as the Johnson Corners Wesleyan Methodist Church. And I've heard stories that in some of those first services, people would come over because they didn't like the fact their dance hall was being used as a church. They would come over and plug the chimney so that when they started church, they, they were hoping they'd smoke him out, but they didn't secede. <laughs> so the church was officially organized uh, March 8, 1924, with a membership of 47 people um, back then. And then slide, uh, the next one, um, the church grew steadily until the early 30s uh, when there were 85 members. The Depression uh, brought a lot of reverses, and many families moved uh, on to other places. And uh, pastors went without salaries and lived on meat and vegetables that people brought to them. And uh, we got through those, they got through those tough years. And then uh, Watford City uh, held morning services, and Johnson Corners usually held an afternoon service, usually at, at 1.30 or so. And they shared a pastor for many years until 1955. Um, when each church hired their own pastor and Johnson Corners built a parsonage in 1957 for $6,200. And then uh, they added on to the church uh, in 1977 and added on to the parsonage in 1979. Uh, In the fall of 1982, the congregation felt led to start a non-denominational Christian school in the church. And after the school outgrew the church and two modular homes, the congregation assisted in the building of Johnson Corners Christian Academy uh, facility that is this one today uh, in 1992. In 2006, a sanctuary was added uh, here that we are sitting in today uh, to the facility uh, to combine both ministries under one roof. And then in 2011, a new parsonage was built. And uh, this past year, a garage with a pastor's office was built with an Entry addition uh, was also added to the church. You'll see a list here next of our pastors. Uh, if you go back there, um, there's 18 of pastors over the uh, 94 years or 92 years of our church history. Um, quite a quite a list of pastors, and you'll see quite a number of repeats up there in the early years. That was very common in the Wesleyan Methodist. Uh, they just kind of cycle around, come for a couple years, go somewhere else, and then come back. Um, and then uh, longer terms as you get down here, and you'll see that trend in, in the Wesleyan Church. A um, couple of interesting stories I've heard passed on to me down through the years. Thomas Bailey was a great pastor of visitation. 
that really went around and really built up the Sunday school. Um, Raymond Sossaman uh, was the weeping preacher. He just couldn't preach the gospel without tears streaming down his face. Um, Aldi Harris, um, who has uh, relatives around here, uh, was was one noted for preaching without any notes. He had eight children and was quite musical. Um, and then uh, Mrs. Thomas Bailey, also, uh, her name was Lillian, and she was a great preacher. The people loved it when she would preach. Um, Alice Solly was a man noted for prayer. Um, um, Kretzinger was, uh, had the open window policy. That is what I always hear about him. If he was driving down, uh, you know, in his old car in the middle of winter, he rolled the window down because he believed in open air. And they had open windows in the parsonage all winter long, and the heating bill was high, but he had to have the window open for fresh air. So he was the man with the open window policy. Um, <laughs> uh, B.D. Beter, another uh, man with a lot of local uh, relatives, um, he, he was here, very local, and um, I, I got to meet him. Uh, he, he did a, a number of revival services uh, that I've attended over the years, and uh, I love to hear him preach. Um, John Watson was uh, Dean Watson, who was a gen- our district superintendent for uh, many years in our district. Uh, great man of God. Uh, William Wetmore, um, he was noted for being the remodeler. He always had his hands, you know, on some tool and uh, doing something, and his wife loved to work with youth. Uh, her name was Thelma. Reed Heddick um, was fun. He was young, and, um, and the parsonage was remodeled while he was here. Um, I'll say more about him later on. Uh, Clark Umfleet um, was the man that I keep hearing uh, about uh, the uh, the evangelistic visitation and the door-to-door uh, visitation that he did in this community. And the other thing, a uh, funny thing about him is his boys love to play indoor golf um, in the parsonage. And uh, there were golf holes in the, some of the doors at the end of the hall. Um, <laughs> so David Philippi, uh, they are here today and we're just so happy for them. And what I've been told about you is that the congregation just loved uh, your mu- musical ministry and the blessing that you were to this church. Um, David Olmstead, uh, my predecessor, was just a wonderful, humble, loving, compassionate man. Um, incredible man. It's so sad that a drunk driver took his life early, but that was he was a real man of God. You are familiar um, with Martin Luther King's Speech, I have a dream. You're probably less familiar with another speech, lesser known speech that he gave in February of 1968 called The Drum Major Instinct. He said that every one of us has a drum major instinct within us. And he described that as a desire to be out front, to lead the parade, to be first to be recognized, to be important, to be significant. Now that may be a little bit exaggerated because I'm not sure that is true of every person out there, but uh, nonetheless, that's the way he described that drum major instinct. Our God is not opposed to that instinct at all. 
but he offers us a different way of achieving it than the world does. The world looks at that and the world answers the drum major instinct by building a tower of battle. Or by offering up the kind of political process that we see today and we watch play out today that is devoid of character and devoid of integrity and devoid of honor. Our God answers that same instinct, that drum major instinct in us, in a different way. He answers that by sending a young man, Joseph, to serve prison guards and Potiphar in the land of Egypt. Or he answers it by sending another young man, like Daniel, to serve King Nebuchadnezzar while he's in captivity. Jesus answers that drum major instinct in us by calling us the greatest, by calling the greatest to be the servant of all and asking us to build the kingdom of God one person at a time here on earth. Now Martin Luther King went on to say in that speech that we need to beat our drum for a particular cause. And he went on to say, in terms of social justice and the things that he was promoting, that one of those causes might be justice or peace or righteousness. I want to say before I go on this morning that that there is, in a sense, an instinct that God has put in each one of us to be a pioneer of something. That you and I need to invest our lives and to do it in a way that serves. A way that doesn't glorify ourselves but lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. But also to do that, that we do have to do what Martin Luther King said and we do have to choose a cause. We have to beat our drum for a particular cause. And you and I, we need to figure out what that is. And sometimes we just need to go to prayer and say, God, what one or two things do you really want me to invest my life, my resources, my abilities that you've given to me for? What do you want me to do with this section of my life? Instead of spreading ourselves out so thin that we don't make any difference anywhere, what drum beat do you want to beat for a particular cause. Pioneers have that major drum instinct in them. You you don't take off from the east and come out here to North Dakota to pioneer land without some kind of a drum beat going on inside. (laughs) I've heard some of the stories. Some of the people that came out here and some of the people just went start craving mad. They just couldn't handle it. I probably would have been one of those people back then. I probably couldn't have handled some of the conditions that they lived through. You have to have that drum major instinct to come out and pioneer something. They left, a pioneer will leave what is comfortable and established and head to what is unknown and highly risky. They believe for new things. 
They look ahead and they forge ahead. They press ahead into what is unknown. Well, what does that have to do with the Bible? What does that have to do with your faith and my faith? First of all, I want to say that you and I have a God who is a pioneering God. Just stop and think about it. In the beginning, God. Everything was there that needed to be there, right there. You could have ended the Bible right there, in the beginning, God. But God's a pioneer, and he went on to create. Something that he didn't take perfect control of. I mean, he created me, and he doesn't always have perfect control of me, unfortunately. He created you. I suspect that there are times he's wondering where you're going off to. (laughs) He is a pioneering God who created the heavens and the earth. We talk in theology about a term. We probably don't mention it very often, but this word prevenient grace. It means the grace that goes before grace. The grace, you know, grace when God comes and saves us, when we repent of our sins and ask Jesus into our life, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve that Jesus could live in us. But good theology says there is prevenient grace, grace that goes before saving grace. In other words, God is pioneering. He knows what he wants to do in your life and my life, but he goes ahead of that and pioneers grace to get you to the point you will receive the wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prevenient grace. It is a pioneering grace. It is God stepping out ahead and leading you to where he wants you to go. There's Abraham. He's over there. He's perfectly content in the land of Ur. And he heads out because God tells him, Abraham, I want you to head over here to where I'm going to lead you. It's one thing if God says, Abraham, I want you to go over here. Here is the map. This is where you're going. But God didn't say that. God said, Abraham, I want you to go to where I am leading you to. He didn't tell them where. He didn't tell them the roadmap. He didn't tell them anything. He just said, go where I'm leading you. And Abraham picked up his bags and went. More than his bags. This is the interesting thing about Abraham. If, you know, my wife and I are just radically opposite ends of this. But if I was to move, I'd get in a vehicle, my favorite vehicle. I would hope my family would jump in, and I would take off and leave the house completely furnished for the next pasture. (laughs) My wife would be left behind. Because she's not leaving until all her stuff goes with her. <laughs> Abraham. I, I don't know about that man. 
It says he took, I mean, he was going this long, long distance to where he didn't know where he was going. And he took all of his camels and all of his horses and all of his stuff. And I would think about halfway there to where he didn't know where he was going, he'd have thought, why didn't I just leave this stuff at home? (laughs) He could have got there a lot faster. But anyway, Abraham, leaves Ur and heads out to a land that isn't known to him because he is a pioneer. Moses is trying to lead, God is trying to lead the Israelites to go into Canaan. Moses picks out 12 spies and and 10 of them are not pioneers. They will go in, they will check it out, and they will find all the reasons why they should not pioneer the land. And they saw all kinds of good reasons to go in and pioneer, but they also saw the giants in the land, and they came back and gave them a negative report. But there was Joshua and Caleb who went in, and they were pioneers. They saw the giants in the land, but they also knew that that was the land God was giving them and that God would stand with them and God would, God would be there for them and, and it would be a stretch of their faith. David, in that long season of his life, and I, I, until I read through that whole season of, of David's life again, I didn't realize just how long it had been from the time that he was anointed king of Israel until he actually became king. And, and for so many years, King Saul had an evil spirit and wanted to kill David and had many opportunities if he had been a good shot. But he wasn't a good shot. <laughs> And he tried successfully many times and so David kind of had to flee and he lived among the Philistines and he he did all kinds of other things. But the whole time David was on the run from Saul, David was a pioneer. David was out there and he was doing raiding parties. And he'd just go and, and just raid into some territory and take it over and conquer land for Israel. You know, and he was always a pioneer. He could not just sit still. He was a pioneer at heart. He went out and he he was so successful that the women of Israel sang that song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands, and that really galled Saul. You jump to the New Testament and you see Jesus creating disciples who are pioneers. They weren't natural pioneers, but by the time Jesus was done with them and the Holy Spirit was done with them, they became pioneers. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, talks about the church going into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Apostle Paul and the disciples literally planted the gospel and planted churches in 
Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria where nobody would have thought that was good territory to go to and to the ends of the earth. And, and it's interesting that when, when the persecution in Jerusalem becomes so great that it pushes out the Christians out of Jerusalem and they go out, you would have thought they would have hung together and they'd all gone to the same little country and formed their own little commune and protected themselves, and they didn't do that. Everyone, you read church tradition and church history, and every one of those disciples, they die in a different country as a martyr for the faith, except for John the Beloved, who dies on the island at Patmos. But they all go to different nations, and indeed they had taken the gospel to the ends of the earth of their day. There are more recent pioneers. They're, you're a pioneer when you choose to accept Christ into your life. And because when you do that, you become different than the other people around you. You just are different. If Jesus is really living inside you, you cannot help but to be different. Jesus changes your life. Jesus always changes lives. And if you become a Christian, you're going to be a pioneer because you're going to, you're going to do things that you've never done before. You're going to be different in ways that you were never different before. There are pioneers who set the course to change their family trees for the sake of future generations. And some of you know, some of you are those people, some of you know the people in your family that set the course for a new direction in your family tree. How things radically are different today for your family, for your children, because somebody came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people are pioneers. There are pioneers who start new ministries like Johnson Corners Christian Academy in 1982. Or Joanne Lyon, who you can read about on the back of your bulletin this morning, starting World Hope International out of her basement. She's grown into a big ministry today, changing lives for the poor around the world. Or Jim and Kathy Concert, moving here from the Brookings area of South Dakota at the age of 60. <laughs> That's when you quit pioneering, you know. And they moved to Watford City to minister to the needy in Watford City. And it's kind of a physical, intensive work that you normally assign to 20-year-olds. And there they are in Watford City, working hard. There were pioneers a century ago who moved into this area, and they started those Sunday schools in almost every little one-room public school within 10 miles of Johnson Corners, and they were pioneers to go out to get to their neighbors. It wasn't pick up the phone, 
It wasn't get in the car and drive over there at 50 miles an hour. It was get on the horseback and go visit and get them to Sunday school. That They were pioneers. They were the ones that pioneered the camp meeting on June 13, 1916. Reverend Gilbert said, I think he was probably a pioneer. <laughs> Coming out here from Indiana, Taylor University. Well, and 80 years, eight years later, after the first camp meeting started, pioneering and saying, hey, we need a work here. We need a church here. And, and that takes a lot of work to do that, to make that happen. I think of a general or a district conference president coming from Aberdeen, South Dakota, on $25 round trip. That was his allotment to come and see if they should start a church here, here in Watford City. J.F. Simpson was a pioneer. Brian Houston of the Hillsong Church in Australia says that a pioneer does four things. First, they take territory that is previously considered uninhabitable and they realize its potential. So Philip goes to Samaria. Well, Samaria is not a good place to go, of course. Everyone knows that. They were despised. They were compromised Jews. But Philip went there and all kinds of people came to Christ. Secondly, a pioneer reaches the unreachable and includes the excluded. You think when, when the gospel left Jerusalem for the first time and started to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, the first three converts were people that shouldn't have been converted, of course. There was Simon the sorcerer and the magician. There was the Ethiopian eunuch. And there was Saul, the one who persecuted the church. Who would have ever thought that he would come to Christ? So a pioneer reaches out to those who we have previously thought unreachable and we've excluded. A pioneer sings a song that is music to the outsider but is sometimes just like sounding brass or a clanging cymbal to the establishment because sometimes they use unorthodox methods. The early church had to keep changing to keep up with what God was doing. You cannot read the book of Acts and not see that. The early church had to keep changing to keep up with what God was doing. They had church consuls and conferences to deal with God because he kept doing things that they weren't ready for that wasn't in their manuals. It wasn't the way we do church. And so they had to decide, what do we do with God now? And they'd figure out what God was doing. And then they'd come back and say, okay, this is how we're going to change. This is what, how we're going to do church now to keep up with God. Dr. Maxie Dunham says, most people prefer the hell of a predictable situation to the joy of an unpredictable one. Sometimes the church is tempted to stop God from doing what he's doing so that we don't have to change. And God asks the church to change to fit what he is doing. 
The last thing Brian Houston says a pioneer does is defy the odds and pioneer again, bringing longevity into the season of their life. They don't quit pioneering. You see, the temptation is once we have pioneered something, we feel like we have succeeded and we stop pioneering. But a real genuine pioneer keeps pioneering. I cannot help but to think of Reed Heddick when I think of a pioneer. Former pastor here, you know, this was his first church. I, I remember when he went from here to Aberdeen, I was a high schooler, if I remember right, and I went by and I was a stupid high schooler and I did something crazy, I remember what, but I was around him and he made fun of me in a way that just was fun. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, he was just a, a fun-loving young man. Um, but here he is, and you know, I'm just guessing he's 10 years older than I am. And, and he goes and he, you know, is in a very successful church plant that he planted some 15, 20 years ago now. Was doing very well and could have just retired there very nicely. And what's he do three years ago? He keeps complaining to the DS about the fact that there is this little part, downtown Aurora, that really needs the gospel. And finally, the DS says to him, well, Reed, I think the reason you keep saying this is because God wants you to do it. And if I'd have been Reed, I'd have said, no, that's for a 20-year-old. <laughs> because the work that Reed is doing is physically intensive. The work that Reed is doing um, working with people who just don't have much to work with themselves. And they're dealing with all kinds of addictions and all kinds of financial crisis and all kinds of this and that and something else. And Reed is right there in the middle of them building a multicultural church in downtown Aurora, Colorado. That's not something you typically do, but Reed is a natural pioneer. <laughs> He didn't quit pioneering just because he'd had a success. He took off and moved to the next thing that God was laying on his heart. I want to say two things today. We're going to go a little bit over this morning. You're going to be okay with it. <laughs> Jesus calls us to answer the drum major instinct by choosing a service mentality. A mentality that says, I'm willing to be humble and I'm willing to serve. And choosing a cause and praying through and saying, God, what is that cause that you have for me? For some of you, it might be starting something, like those pioneers who started the Sunday school or, or whatever it might be. For some of you, it might be starting something. For some of you, you might, God may be allowing you to go through a valley that you don't you would never choose to go through. You wouldn't want to be there. You don't you really don't want to be there, but it's the valley that you're in. And for you, pioneering means that you're gonna go through that valley and figure out what it is that God wants to do in and through you while you're in that valley. But you're gonna say to God, I'm willing to be a pioneer in this circumstance. 
And then God wants us to be pioneers with our faith. To step out. To dream. To risk our lives and our resources for the sake of building God's kingdom. He wants us to be people who pioneer. And maybe, maybe it's been a while since you've seen some new growth in your life. Your spiritual life is kind of stagnant. It hasn't changed much in the last couple of years. Maybe it's time to be a pioneer in a new area spiritually in your journey with God. What is that that God has for you?